I think the biggest thing is that what we saw is that these franchisors and, and really these the founders of these businesses, right? As they grow and you see a lot of franchise systems grow, they will get to a peak and they have to make a decision. Either I'm going to reinvest back in the business or I'm going to hold on to what I have and keep my lifestyle and stop reinvesting. And they make a decision of that's okay and that's where systems go or they want somebody else to take it to the next level. And I think we we didn't, it wasn't just because we had a check to buy these businesses, it's because all these people, these founders looked at us and said, you can help my franchisees and my system. You can take what I built and make it so much bigger. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's The Wolf. Today on the show, we have Adam Geisler and John Erlinson. Adam and John have built Youth Athletes United. It's a platform franchisor, which means they own four brands all under one company. All their franchises are children's businesses that revolve around sports. This is a unique episode, and John and Adam discuss how they're building synergies between each of their brands, why they're stronger together with those brands versus just focusing on one, and how growing their business aligns well with their social impact goals. Enjoy the episode. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Thanks to both of you for coming on. You know, with owning today four franchises, you guys are a little bit unique compared to other guests where it's just one brand. You know, you guys are kind of sitting at the top of this franchise platform. I mean, before we get into how you acquired these brands. I'd love to hear, you know, from both of you, just what you were doing before you decided to set your sights on franchises. Yeah. So John, I have kind of, we have two unique and similar uh, kind of origin stories. We like to say, you know, for me, I always grew up in sports, grew up in Texas, love sports, love participating. So that was kind of always my passion. Got into the business side of sports pretty early on in my career. I spent about 10 years at Everlast, the boxing brand, going from public to private and a pretty no, but, big but he, Hang on, he skipped the best part. We were both getting exercise physiology degrees at about the same time <laughs> back like in the 90s, 2000 crossover year. Okay. You, were you, guys, wait, you guys were in college together? Uh, no, we were different schools. We didn't know each other yet, but we gotcha. were at the same time, roughly. And we both got out and realized you can't get a job with an exercise physiology degree. So like, <laughs> our epic journeys kind of like would meet you know, 10 years later. As we cool. both went down that path of like trying to figure out what teachers was not our focus, but opportunity <laughs> to impact kids through physical education is how we somehow miraculously ended up together. But at a sporting goods company for a long time. Then it was an entrepreneurial startup called Mission, where I had a lot of fun there growing that business for about five years. And then we both met at what is now the second largest licensing company in the world, Authentic Brands Group. I was on the sports division, John was on business development for the company, and the two of us. I guess kind of kismet kind of came together, had found out we had very similar passions in both life and in education and business and found we're both really good at what we'd like to do. But we also want to find a way to have a real reward or social commerce really at the end of the day. We both love selling. We love building, love growing. 
And if we can do that and have the reward of not only making money, but having an impact on community and specifically kids and kind of where we ended up, we thought it would be an amazing opportunity. So that's kind of how we came together. John will probably tell it a little bit different. No, I mean, I, you know, same thing. Came out of college, exercise physiology degree, love fitness, love sports, could never quite put it together in a way that, you know, I woke up every morning, like just feeling like I was making a really good impact. So I invented this product, went on QBC, cratered miserably. Like, I think we sold like 10 units in eight minutes, you know, which was about 20,000 short of where you needed to be. But I got a job making treadmills and in product development. And and I like the aspect of the fitness industry of what you did for people. But, you know, building machines is okay, right? Like there was nothing inspiring about it after you kind of did the project. And so when we got to Authentic Brands and we were working together, unbelievable entrepreneurial company. I think we both always really wanted to own our own business. And in that eight years, we really learned like that last set of skills of like, we knew we were pretty good leaders. We had a lot of passion for what we did. We knew no one needed to push us. We could push ourselves. And we knew we wanted to be in this social impact business, right? So how do you like affect other people? How do you affect kids? How do you affect franchise partners? And that business was a licensed business. So it was similar. We were really good at working with third-party partners and getting results. But now all of a sudden, this opportunity comes up. All these sports brands were coming up for sale. And it just felt like a perfect you know, sometimes life's timing, sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's seeing the luck and jumping on it. And it all came together really, really nicely. And, you know, for the first 12 months, it was a fairy tale. And then COVID hit. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And we were thriving out of it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, okay. That's interesting. So that last company that you guys were at was a licensing business. So it kind of gave a you a taste. So, a taste of what franchising looks like. 100%. Okay. So did you guys both just come together and say, like, hey, like, let's find a franchise? Or, or yeah, like, what does that conversation as like business partners look like? And then when you actually go to look for a franchise, like, are you just Googling franchises? Uh, this is my part of the story. So we're in Japan. <laughs> no, no, I, let me get it. Let me get it. Japan? Get it. So, but the, I, think, I think the interesting thing is, you know, what we found later, and I've heard and listening to some of your podcasts is, we didn't realize that we were acquisition entrepreneurs. Okay. Like what John and my great skill is, is that we take great and make it greater. Right. And so we had an opportunity where I heard that soccer stars was Super soccer stars was for sale from our fourth partner. Who's not on here. who's was our chief digital officer. Here it was for sale. I found out about it and it just, you know, the way life happens is you kind of, you make things happen or things happen for you. And so it was a little bit of both. John was in a headspace where he was looking to move on two of our other partners were in that similar headspace. And we had a tremendous private equity group behind us that was willing to make the investment with us. And so I think what's really interesting is we bought an operating company and Super Soccer Stars operating in 13 states and a franchising company called Amazing Athletes. Two of those things came together because one was for sale. And then the broker that was representing uh, Super Soccer Stars also was representing a second franchise brand. And we said, listen, if we've got really smart intellectual capital behind us, We've got between ourselves and also our private equity group, we've got financial backing behind us. And we've got this thesis and platform that if we put our resources against this youth sports space and, and can have a big impact, we think we can do something really big. And we didn't know what big was at the time. Right? We kind of we kind of started to learn our way through it. But it was we felt that there was a big opportunity to impact youth sports, both from the digital experience, the content experience, and learning what we had learned between licensing and brand platforms and the power of those platforms. If we put those resources to 
these smaller companies that were founder led that needed more executives to come in and give it the opportunity to really scale. That's what we saw and was kind of our original thesis. I would expand on that and say, you know, I think that the biggest thing for any entrepreneur and this, you kind of know it and it's not until you get into it, you're always building the airplane while you're flying it. And I think when we came in, this original vision was, you know, Adam and I pretty much are yin and yang. Like I'm very sales, he's very marketing and we work, we play off of each other really well. Cause usually nine times out of 10, when you debate something, the right answer is somewhere in the middle. And so we've had this like really good working relationship of where, you know, he'll focus really, really far on the brand side and, and the pristineness of the brand. I'll push really hard on the revenue side and somewhere in the middle, you achieve both. And so when we looked at the initial airplane that was taken off, there was going to be a really big operating company and a really big franchising company because we always want to be able to look at our franchisees and go, look, I'm never going to tell you to do something with your money that I'm not doing with mine because there's too many franchisors that have exited their money, taking all the risks. So every big idea they have, they just dump on the community. And if the community can't execute it, well, it's their fault. So now you have misalignment between franchisor and franchisee. What happened to us, though, as we were kind of, you know, flying the airplane and was taken off, we realized the operating business was too big and we, we were making a lot of money there and we weren't spending enough time on our franchisees and our franchise platform. And so slowly but surely, we've started to realize that, well, we want to operate, we'll always operate, we'll always be, you know, knee deep in it. We need to scale back the amount of time we're spending on operating and take all that intellectual capital and free time and plow it into franchising to make that platform accelerate. And that's kind of happened coming out of COVID and probably six months, you know, before COVID ended. And the acceleration has just been insane, like unbelievable. The partners, the software rollouts, the national partnerships, the growth, especially of our you know top 50 percent. Uh, it's been pretty incredible. That's great. And I definitely want to get to that. But so something you said, I, I definitely agree that there are a lot of franchisors that disproportionately put the risk on franchisees to their own benefit. But you guys have said something. So you mentioned that there's an operating business and then your franchise business. So are you saying, is that Soccer Stars the operating business? And can you get, kind of just expand on what you guys yeah. mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, Soccer Stars has been an operating business up until this year. We're going to launch it as a franchise business for the first time in its 20, 22 year history. It's, we're going to be taking operating territories and refranchising them out because we see that big opportunity to bring in uh, fresh capital, fresh intellectual capital, and allow us to focus less of our time on our core operating, to, to focus down to core operating territories in a few markets on the East and West and really give all of our time and attention out to scaling the franchisees and allowing them to increase their average unit value, their ability to impact kids through sports. And that's really where our focus is. So today we've got an umbrella platform. Youth Athletes United has super soccer stars that's operating moving to franchising. We have amazing athletes, which has been franchising for its full 19 years. And then we recently had acquired TGA, Tennis and Golf Athletics, which is our third big franchise platform. So those are the three core platforms that we that we are franchising today. And then as kind of other brands that we have that have rolled in, uh, Jump Bunch is rolled into the Amazing Athletes family. Very similar kind of program. They used to be number one, number two competitors. Now they're, you know, one big platform across the country in multi-sport. And then Little Rookies Baseball is our latest acquisition. It's still in its infancy. It's the smallest brand of all, but it takes that same concept of every other brand we have. 
you look at a sports industry that doesn't understand young kids, doesn't understand first sport experience, relies on volunteers that half of them don't even want to be there and half of them want to coach older kids that, you know, that are uh, high performance. And it basically says, this is insane. We got to flip this on its head. The sport is a tool to teach the kid how to be a better kid, right? And how to be a better person in life and how to be a better teammate. It's the gateway, right? The gateway sports. And so it doesn't matter if you think of every time I talk about T-ball because it's the best. Every kid's sitting in the grass. Volunteers are hardcore baseball guys. Nobody knows how to manage young kids. And nobody's participating. One dude's sitting there trying to hit and he can't do it. And everybody else is just sitting there bored. And so that program we love because it did exactly what, you know, soccer stars did 20 years ago, where it said there was butterfly soccer. Kids are just running around, but nobody's learning anything. So how do we take that fun and that energy and then slide learning in in a way that they don't even realize they're learning? And so every one of our brands has that ethos, no matter what sport we're teaching. And we're never going to leave that, you know, content first, fun first mentality. That's who we are. That's great. And I, I could see how that aligns too with kind of like the social impact you're really looking to make. Well, so for soccer stars though, was it like you said they were operating territories? So was that a licensed business? Which, you know, for people listening, there's just legal differences between like selling licenses versus everything franchising entails. But yeah, like what was the structure of that? It was truly operating. So we owned three territories, employed over 100, uh, and still do 100 employees, and have over 600 to 700 coaches, W2s across the country. So we were operating all, all these territories. And so, you know, the founders at the time had the decision of do I franchise or do I operate? And so over time, they had operated in all those territories. And I think as we found, as we scale and we have more opportunities to bring this great product on Super Soccer Stars to more territories it's too difficult to manage all those territories in franchising. At some point you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, what am I going to be? Am I a franchise company with some operating territories or an operating company with franchises? Yeah. And so that's really what we had to do. And it's been a big shift to John's point over the last six, 12 months, we've been feeling it. Our franchise even feel on a positive way of, of taking some of your best intellectual capital was in these operating territories and giving those resources back to franchisees. The partnership has been phenomenal. So so think about this, right? You go to a normal franchisor and I call my franchise guy, I'm the franchisee, and I call my main contact at the franchisor. They've never owned the store. They've never run the business. They've never been an entrepreneur. They haven't felt my struggles. They've read a manual, gone through some training, and they know how to tell me what's in the manual, right? Our staff, somebody calls and is like, I'm having problems with coaching and this. Great. I built a $3 million business in California from zero. I know your pain. Let's talk. The authenticity of that is unbelievable. And here's the other craziest part. Unlike most franchisors, because we're, we have 13 hubs in core cities, Miami, San Diego, Chicago, every big city, Austin, you name it. We have on the ground employees that are living it. So whenever I have a problem with a franchisee in that region, not only do I have the other franchise owners in the system, but I can deploy the corporate staff up there to make sure that they get the help that they need. And nine times out of 10, it's just somebody on the ground that's like feeling your pain of like, oh, I can solve the problem like this. It's those intangibles that aren't in the ops manual that the conclusion I think we've come to is that's what makes a franchisor really special. There's lots of B-level franchisors that basically they'll tell you to follow the manual. And then there's the AA pluses, which they teach you how to do all the intangibles because everything is so local. 
Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right as far as the authenticity from doing it yourself, right? Like a lot of times as franchises grow and become successful, it's hard for them to keep that, right? Because the founders get so high up and so outsourced. They have just management teams between them and the Z's and its staff and it's more, it can, I'm not speaking for all big franchises, but it just can become more of, you know, sales pitches than honest, empathetic feedback. So I like the way you guys frame that, but just going back again. So you acquired soccer stars and amazing athletes at once, and there's a private equity firm involved. I mean, that's, that's not easy for, you know, you don't just get that. So like, how, how did that kind of, how'd you get that backing without having kind of been a franchisor before? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, I'd say it's, again, we talk about kind of making our own luck. I've been probably pretty entrepreneurial in my life and I, I believe in networking kind of every single day and John as well. And so I've been uh, bending the ear of this one private equity group for probably the better part of six, seven years through who eventually became one of our board members, former CFO, colleague of mine. And I just kept pitching him ideas over the years. And eventually the reason why this one stick stuck is because the founder of that group He'd been through it with his kids in Manhattan. And so he experienced the product. He understood the product and said, yeah, you know what? I can, I can see immediately that if we put yourself and some of the partners that you're talking about in kind of, if you have this vision of platform, I can get around it. And so, you know, there was a little bit of risk in terms of new area of territory for them and us. But I think the way our private equity group looked at it is anytime there's founder run companies and you bring in real intellectual capital and there's a certain size of the business that they were willing to invest in, I felt, you know, what's our downside? Our downside is that we've impacted kids and maybe we get our money out. But if we're right, oh my gosh, the impact to have to impact all these kids positively through sports, grow a platform and leave our legacy, both not just as investors, but just as, as in human capital, they really got behind it. And, you know, they took the bet on us and, and our team and a tried and true product that they'd experienced themselves. They, they've been phenomenal. Like you got to find the right capital partners. Like they fit our personalities like perfectly. They know when to push. They know, like we know when to push back. We know when to debate with each other. Like they have been, and they know also when to step back and be like, look, you guys are busy. Go. Right. And I was <laughs> funny story. We were looking for office space and uh, we were in a, we work and we're in an elevator and the person that's touring us around is like, Hey, what are you doing? We're like, oh, you know, we raised millions of dollars in capital and uh, we're pretty excited and we're looking to get the the platform started. And this guy behind me is like just deflated. And he's like, I've been at this for three years, man. How did you guys do that in two weeks? But what people don't see is they think it's an overnight success story. But for 20 years, we've been building contacts, building skills. I had three failed businesses that we didn't even talk about that were like zeros. They barely even got off the ground like disasters. And so everybody sees it and goes, oh, it's an overnight success or it was so easy for you. And this guy's been grinding for three years. I'm thinking, man, I've been grinding for 20. Like, And I think that's a big part of what a lot of new entrepreneurs don't understand and they don't they get into it. And even if you start a business, our business is phenomenal because you can open the store in quotes the day you get home, the fastest we've seen it, this was great. Guy left training on the last week of July, and I pulled up his dashboard, and his first revenue came in on August 15th. So two weeks after training, because it's a mobile business, you get out there, you knock on the door, you've got a relationship, whatever it is, and you start booking and putting kids in classes. And so I think what we do really well is teaching entrepreneurs about that journey because we get a lot of first-time entrepreneurs coming in. And look, we went through it ourselves. We've just been through it. We were employees all these years. It doesn't 
hit a home run overnight, a lot of small consistent steps will change your life. And it's three years seems like forever, but it goes by in a blink of an eye. And you talk about our other passion project beyond impacting kids. I loved and Adam loves making franchisees better, making our employee partners better. Like there is nothing better to watch this unbelievable group of talented employees that stayed with us from all the acquisitions, but had never been taught business. And what we always tell everybody is I can't teach you passion. So I'm not going to talk to you a lot about passion. I assume you have that, but I can teach you business and I can put you to be better at business and to watch them go from here to here where they're taking it on like they own it. Some of them are buying the territories out. Like it's just been a phenomenal run. And I would tell you that to me is probably as fulfilling as I was out on the, the, I get out on the field about once a year, but I got out last week as watching the kids, you know, get better after class and be energized. And so it's, it's just a great way to wake up. I love it, man. And so I guess I have a kind of two part question. I'm curious, like, what was the size of amazing athletes when you acquired them? Like how many franchisees were in the system? Yeah. So system wide, or Adam, you want to take that one? Yes. Yeah, so amazing athletes was about 80 franchise owners. Um, we've grown it to, and it was about 32 states. We've grown it to 35 states. We're up to 88 owners. We're up to 142 franchise units across uh, some corporate operated as well as franchise units. And it's about 30% of the system are multi-unit owners today uh, on Amazing Athletes. Yeah. All right. So that's a sizable transaction then, I, I guess, from when you acquired it. System-wide revenue, you know, will probably be close to $10 million. Uh, by amazing athletes. Amazing athletes. Yeah. For you guys as entrepreneurs, I mean, what gave you the crazy idea to, rather than, you know, most of the time on this podcast, I've just had multi-unit franchisees and they do roll-ups and they expand their territories, but they're the franchisee. What what got into you guys where you're like, no, like we're going to acquire the franchisors and roll those up? I think the biggest thing is that what we saw is that these franchisors and, and really these the founders of these businesses, right? As they grow and you see a lot of franchise systems grow they'll get to a peak and they have to make a decision. Either I'm going to reinvest back in the business or I'm going to hold on to what I have and keep my lifestyle and stop, stop reinvesting. And they make a decision of that's okay. And that's where systems go, or they want somebody else to take it to the next level. And I think we, we didn't, it wasn't just because we had a check to buy these businesses is because all these people, these founders looked at us and said, you can help my franchisees and my system. You can take what I built and make it so much bigger. And so I think that's a really, really big part for us. And so we saw all these, as we kind of did our due diligence, we saw these franchise owners that, oh my gosh, if they just had some additional skills in how to grow their business, how to market their business, if they just had the technology resources to have less administration time, we always say uh, more green time, less screen time. If we just provided them with an admin system that allowed them to put classes up on the website book their classes, schedule their coaches, just did those basic things. Yeah. They want 30% of their time back. What are they going to do with that 30% of time back? Well, the owners that want to, they're growing. They're buying more units and they're growing their kids and they're getting more schools. And the owners that say, well, that gave me a better quality of life. That's okay too. We want both of those things for them. Amazing. I think one of the other things is we were doing the diligence and closing the deal took a really long time. And um, one of the conclusions we kind of came to is, there's a real shortfall in software in this industry to support it because it's it's not the league. So the leagues are billions upon billions of dollars. And so there's all kinds of software platforms for those guys. When you get into the class business, 
there's a lot of platforms that are out there, but not one that does what you would think it would do. And as we researched some other early M&A opportunities, because there was just decks flying around, we noticed the same thing. People that had gotten over $5 million in any system-wide revenue had spent a bunch on software along the way. Now, their software systems were 20 years outdated because they had started building ESP. So we then came to our next thesis of, okay, on the consumer side and the franchisee side, we always wanted to build a platform of brands. You know, it's, it's, you've got an initial vision and then, you know, you get on the field and you realize you got to change the game plan a little bit. And we did that along the way. But one of the driving factors was no one of these systems was big enough to invest in software the way you needed to, to go next level. Like, we don't want to compare ourselves against the other sports programs. I don't compare myself against, you know, Amazon and how efficient they are. Because by the way, that's what mom compares you to, right? And so why don't we hold ourselves to that same standard? And you go, okay, I've got Amazon taste and technology with, you know, our budget down here. So how do you bridge that gap? Well, you put a lot of these brands together and it becomes stone soup, right? We're in a kid's business, kid's book. Everybody chips a little bit into the pot. And now all of a sudden they're using the exact same software platform, but the budget becomes big and meaty to the point of now our third partner, guy with a degree in M- from MIT, you don't hear that much in youth sports, right? He's driving the software business and he literally is launching new features every three weeks with his team, which is operating on three continents. And so nobody is doing that. I mean, we've met with a, a lot of different partners in the industry and they've been shocked to kind of just, like the boldness of like, wow, I can't believe you guys are taking this service. And I think we had this vision of, we want the parent, we want the kid, number one, we want kids to, this again, we've talked, this is my first sport experience, right? Whether it's your first soccer experience that's the, and it's the first sport you've ever, you've ever played, we want that to be an amazing experience. If it's your first multi-sport experience with amazing athletes, we want you to try a bunch of different sports and feel all those things. Then if you, as you start to make sports specific decisions, you come back to soccer, but you can also go to tennis and golf and some of our other brands that we start to build. But we want the parent to have one trusted platform where they know the coaches are going to be great. The curriculum is going to be great. It's a seamless experience. All the notifications and that expectation of when a parent goes and buys something today, it's a click of one button and they get all the information. It's in their calendar. They get that service. We want to provide that service to the parent so there's no barrier to entry and they can keep these kids enrolling in brands and programs that they trust. And so that's what we ultimately see. Uh, It'll probably take us about another year or two to get there. But that was the vision as we started to build this thing. And if we can do that, you know, we can impact a million kids a year through this platform. And that's why we said we want to be on the franchisor side, take these brands and put them together versus being in a single brand platform or just even being franchise owners. Well, it's interesting. I want to key in on that, that multi-brand aspect of it. And John, it sounded like you kind of mentioned how that's been really important in being able to actually affording to invest in the software because you kind of have, you know, all these different franchisees from different brands, but you can invest in one central software that applies to all of them because it sounds like, you know, they're similar enough businesses, right? The sports are different that they're providing training on for the kids. But yeah, I guess just, can you guys talk about that? Like, because one of my questions was going to be, you know, are you doing it the wrong way, right? Like, why not just go all in on one brand, make that as big as possible versus this multi-brand play? And, you know, do you have one franchise sales team that handles it for every brand? Like, you know, are there efficiencies or is it actually more complicated? Like, what's that been like? Here's what's been really fascinating, right? Every sword has two edges. (laughs) And so 
if you have one brand, the backside of the sword is, hey, you only have one brand. So someone calls you and I don't really love multi-sport. I don't love preschools. Well, guess what? They're going to buy something else, right? Yep. Now, the flip side is, as the ship gets bigger, turning it becomes slower. So when you're only one brand and you go, hey, I would love to just tweak this in marketing, I don't have to go through the guy who's working on six other brands, right? And so there's ups and downs to both. But, you know, in life, nothing is perfect. Everything's a weighing scale. So you put all those onto the scale and you say, which one is going to get us to where we need to be? If I'm a franchisee and, you know, my business can only be so big in one brand, any franchise that you've had on your podcast and the prior things. They can only go so far from their house, right? The further you manage, you're one person, right? That's driving your local vision. So the further you got to travel, the harder it is. So a lot of entrepreneurs for us say, look, I want to do more with you guys. I don't want to go buy another business, but what if we only have one brand? Then it can only get so big. So now they stack another brand. The kids stay with them longer. The kids move left to right in the pathway and they move north to south in terms of age. And so now that customer lifetime has been expanded. The franchisee's income has been expanded. The variety of what they're doing. We had a lot of amazing athletes, franchise owners that have been in for 10 years that when we came in, they're like, I'm going to retire. And then they saw the energy of what we were doing and the platform. They're like, dude, I never thought I'd own a soccer business, but I can go to all my schools and attack my soccer competitor now because I have it and I have the trust. They love me. They love my program. I just didn't have the content. And so just to watch that has been, and when we first came in, they're like, soccer's our enemy. You know, we can't believe, you know, we're merging with a soccer company. And now they're like, soccer's our best friend. It's another tool in the toolbox to make kids' lives better. Yeah, and we have probably 35% of the system is already multi-brand owners, which is pretty impressive. So it's happening pretty quickly. We have our first three-brand owner already. And so, you know, again, I think the opportunity to do more of what you love make more money doing what you love and also do it in a single territory versus having to expand out to multiple territories. That's really attractive to a lot of franchisees. No, definitely. Especially like with brick and mortar brands, it's obviously takes a sophisticated operator, but it is of course doable, right? You know, I've had people who own locations all over the country and they're usually PE backed at that point, but it is possible. But with a non-brick-and-mortar, a home-based, mobile-style business. Yeah, you're right. Like You're kind of limited to geography. Well, you say that. Look, we still run, right? We have these operating territories in all these different cities, and that's you know a 20-plus million-dollar business, and we do it. Yeah. All things are possible. Not all things are smart, right? And so (laughs) there's there's the – we always use the saying, like, return on investment per unit of brain damage. And so, like, you really got to think through that sometimes of like, hey, there are so many better ways to jack up the quality for the consumer than for us to try and control every aspect of it and run it as a national opco, you know. And I think going back to your first question, it definitively would have been easier to have one brand and grows from one brand and not other brands. But I don't know, you kind of get to know John a little bit over the uh, John Edwards podcast. We don't like to do anything that's easy. And also, like. Like, this isn't a job for us anymore. It's a lifestyle. And so like, I think the franchisees and our employees and our team, everybody respects it. Cause like, if we're going to do this, let's go big and let's have a big impact. And not that one brand is important, but like we can do a lot more with more. And so let's go after the big opportunity with everybody. Yeah, I can definitely see like, I mean, for you guys, right. Uh, Cause I cut my teeth in the franchise world at a franchise development firm. So we had 
three brands, right? And just like you said, John, if one of the three brands wasn't interesting, and honestly, like our brands were totally separate industries, so uh, there was no synergies like you guys have, you know, that was it. They'd get off the phone and we lost them. So I, it definitely makes sense from your perspective. But yeah, I can also see now too, one of my first podcast guests, he was in the auto industry and he owned, uh, you know, like a maintenance shop, some type of decaling shop, and also an auto supplier shop. So for him, it made sense, right? Like he had that kind of ability to pivot with his customers. And I could see that your franchisees are getting that too. And it's probably why 35% of them, right, are uh, multi-brand owners, you said. Look, it's this business, if you, I use a lot of analogies. I also make up a lot of words, but it's just the way my brain <laughs> But um, Me too. Uh, the interesting thing is it's like laying railroad tracks. It takes a long time to clear the forest and lay the railroad track. For us, that's knocking on doors and making partnerships, and that's what our franchise owners are doing. But once the track's there, you can change the train any which way you want and just drive it right into the station. So we find that of like, wow, I did all the work. Hey, John, and we have franchise owners. We always we are in the uh, sell and then ask for forgiveness business, and our franchise owners know that about us. So they call us up. Hey, I'm interested in you know little rookies. And they start kind of negotiating and looking at like the deal. And meanwhile, they're like, hey, can you send me a flyer? I need to know a little bit more about it. They've called all their schools. They booked 26 classes. And then they're like, all right, I'm ready to sign. Right. And so, and look, they know we're the type of owners. We'll laugh about that because you'll never get a slap on the wrist from us for going out and getting kids in classes and making them better. Right. And like, that's our North Star. Yeah. Yeah, and I think about it like you use your automotive analogy. So if you've already built a database of kids and you've already built a database of locations, of open and location parks and rec, and you've already built a database of schools, well, we've got two or three additional brands and opportunities to sell to those same customers. Because our thesis is you want kids playing multiple different sports, trying multiple sports at a young age. So like you already know how to acquire those customers. You have all those customers. So layering on is actually the easiest part because it's the same industry but it's not cannibalizing. It's just giving people more optionality to do soccer, multi-sport, tennis and golf. And that's really where we want to gravitate them towards. Definitely. What's like the type of entrepreneur that you think is either the best fit or, or just that you guys see? Because I think, uh, Kevin, you said it, right? Like you can't teach passion, but you can teach business. So, you know, when I look at maybe one of these more mobile-based brands, like one of the benefits, right, is that it's a lower investment. Like, you know, Amazing Athletes, I think, tops out a little over $50,000 as the investment range, which is really low. But then when I compare that to say like, you know, I had a 20 location Wingstop owner on this podcast. Part of his desire, right, is the financial outcomes that you can get by owning a lot of brick and mortars. But like still, when you see like a one franchisee, if in their local market, they scale to three or four of your brands, I mean, is there enough meat on the bone from a financial perspective, do you think? Like, do you think savvy operator who could do 20 wing stops actually has a path to solid money within your platform? A hundred percent. I mean, absolutely. I mean, just think about the, just think about, you know, what's going on in life, right? Like if, if we've watched consumer behavior change, you know, due to the pandemic and a lot of other things that are happening at a macro level, kids are always playing sports and they're, and parents are always having more kids and more kids and kids are always getting more involved. And so there's really an infinite opportunity for us to constantly have that life cycle and also the lifetime value of the parent, the kid, their brothers, their sisters, whoever they may be. And so there is a ton of opportunity to really scale. And again, as you build the infrastructure, we will have, and again, as we grow the system, 
we'll have owners very similar to Wingstop where they might, they will be private equity backed and they will be able to be semi-absentee owners because the base businesses will be so strong and they'll be able to see the same times a half a million, million plus returns that you see in brick and mortar, but they're going to love, love, love what they're doing. I think the big, we've seen an evolution. Like, so I think what we found is, and similar, I think, to Wingsop guy and and uh, the, was it Anytime Fitness, I believe, was the other gentleman that was on? Uh, uh, yeah, Anytime Fitness and Orange Theory may be the one you're thinking of. Uh, there was a big Orange Theory on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, if you look at any of those people that have grown, they generally don't start from zero, right? Like they find one they can buy or, and so what we've seen is the people that want to just go knock on doors, first business, Big investment, it's probably, you know, 50% of their life savings and they're ready to knock on doors, meet preschool directors, meet elementary, meet parks and rec, all those types of things. They tend to be the first business they ever buy and they build in that space. The people that are more better capitalized, what we're seeing is they want to come in and buy our operating territories, which come with a management team, a solid base, and then they want to bring next level kind of skills to it. And so we're, we're seeing a little bit of a bifurcation in owners. And then there's this bucket in the middle, like Jared Taylor, who you talked to, yeah, who found a way to go from startup, you know, that first, he knocked on that first door, got that first kid in the class, coached it. And now he's got five territories and he just continues to expand. And so that's kind of like our ABC of the types of people we see. And what is really interesting is when you talk about like an archetype of who that person is. So we'll get, you know, is it a salesperson? Is it a person that loves kids? Is it a person that loves sports? I think the best way to sum it up, it's a relentlessly dynamic personality that just loves getting out of bed every day and just going. Like They love the interaction with the kids. They love the vision they present to their coaches. They love stopping and having a cup of coffee with their partner at the school or you know at the park and rec. They love just moving, right? Like they're just moving. They like sports. Those, if you have that, you don't have to be a greatest salesperson. It definitely helps if you have skills of selling, but really like you're a member of your community. You're making an impact on your community. Oh, I, I know Johnny owns the local sports business, right? Yeah. And all those parents, they all know you too. And so it, the backgrounds are unbelievable. We have everybody from like writers to, you know, retired PE teachers to people who just got out of college. And it's just, they all share that same profile of just like, and I think the thing with important is we always want to have that person that literally they'll, they'll just be owner operator every single day and they will be known by coach Joe or coach Jill. We want that people and we want those people in our system. They are the bread and butter, but you also want to have the opportunity for that growth. And we think both are really, really important, but we do say, and you know, we're about to launch uh, soccer stars here as a franchise business, the middle of next month with one of the largest FSOs out there. And, you know, the, the conversation we had with them is, you know, as we go out to broker networks and we start to get some different types of owned investors is if you're looking for money, if you're looking for an, a financial opportunity, that's great. But the first answer to the question is I want to have a positive impact on kids in the community. If you want to do that and make money, we'll find a way and there's a good opportunity. But if you're just looking at this as financial reward, it's not that we don't want you. It's just it's not the right fit because you're going to let the kid down, the coach down in the community. Down. Yeah, I love that uh, you guys put that first. So would I be wrong in thinking, like, given the lower financial barrier, there is someone who has that passion. Maybe they don't, you know, they didn't grow up thinking I, I want to, like, you know, run a kid's business. But they say, I do want to be a business owner. I want to learn the ropes. And like, yeah, 
I would love to make an impact on my community. You know, like, I don't know. Who, who wouldn't think that sounds fun? Is this a good stop for them to, or like a good first step at a minimum? And, you know, you see where it goes. But do you welcome those kinds of people who are just like, hey, I want to be a business owner. I haven't done it before. I'm not going for one of these big franchises because it's too scary and too risky. I would tell you those are our favorite type of people because we start okay. off not talking about the franchise. Like, let me tell you about my journey, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I took a huge risk. I was a very successful employee for 20 years. And my wife said to me, hey, look, you think you're ever going to not be a successful employee? And I was like, no, why do you ask? And she goes, well, can't you always go back to that if this doesn't work out? I'm like, yeah, I guess. She's like, so like when you die, are you going to really look back and be like, man, I wish I kept doing something I really wasn't that passionate about and wasn't mine. And even if you fail, do you think you're going to look back and regret it? Now, we put a big portion of our life savings into this. So when COVID hit, <laughs> there were definitely some moments where I'm like, man. Like, yeah, I might regret this. At the end of the day, I got to tell you, <laughs> let the bridges you burn light your way. Because once the bridge was burned, there was no choice but to keep charging forward. And it made us so much better. It wasn't even funny. And the, the craziest thing that came out of it, all the mom and pops competition just disappeared. So we tell our franchisees now, look, you are in a once in a lifetime opportunity of just a speed race to grab land and build railroad tracks because yeah. all these locations are open. People that had a foothold for 20 years because Coach Joe was in there and had had it since 2000. Coach Joe's old, retired and didn't make it through COVID. And now it's wide open for us to go put professional content in there with our systems and impact those kids. And so from a franchisee opportunity, you know, we love those first time people because they get excited and we like helping them. We like watching people grow. It's awesome. And, and, and one interesting thing that I think we can kind of digress to is, is kind of culture, right? And so we've bought these businesses during COVID. I think we really built an amazing culture because we were always there for our franchisees. We always listened. We always gave, we gave everybody support. You know, this wasn't about the money that we could extract for them. It's about how do they keep their business going? And, you know, we were cheerleaders. We were mental health support, but also we were operating business and like we kept finding ways to be successful. And every single time we found a way to be successful, man, we passed it on to our franchisees. But what's been really interesting that I think we have real clarity on now, you know, four and a half, five years in this is, you know, acquiring three different big franchise platforms, one operating the two franchise is you have three different cultures, right? And they were all built by owner operators, you know, all built by founders. And now you've got new, you know, new people that are private equity backed. And, you know, we're Darth Vader coming into a lot of these things, you know, we are the dark side. And so, you know, you have to build a lot of goodwill. And then you also have to like, how do you merge three different cultures together? Well, the good thing is all of us can look each other in the face and say, we're doing this because we want to positively impact kids through sports. So we have that unified principle. And even though they all operate a little bit differently and they all have some differences, that similarity really binds us. And so, you know, where we're really going to see it come together, we're having our first multi-brand conference this December. We're bringing everybody together and we're starting mixing those cultures, you know, to make it one culture and the different systems and the different brands, personalities kind of all coming together and everybody seeing like how similar we all are through what we do. And so it's what I think, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but give us credit for is we pride ourselves on culture, right? These franchisees have to come into the system and feel that they're getting more than they ever have. And there's nothing John and I or any else on our team won't do. We'll go coach a class if we need to go to class. You need to run balls to a class or whatever it needs to do. We will do it, but we'll be in it with you every single day. And so that's built a really big trust within our franchisees. It's taken a little while to do, 
but that is the intangible. And then also to have private equity founders, uh, private equity investors, excuse me, who support that and make sure that, listen, you guys need to build that culture and we're here to support you and we know the end game. Like you hear various horror stories of, of private equity back getting into these franchise systems. And listen, we are a testament to the exact opposite. And you can talk to any franchisee and they will tell you the same. And that culture is everything to what we try to do. The other, I'll expand on that a little bit. Just the interesting thing is when a small business owner hears it's private equity, they think, well, you know, you're just trying to take money out of the business. And what they don't realize is the exact opposite. Private equity guys don't want more cash. They want you to take 100% of the money and dump it back into the business. But if I'm a single owner where I own 100% of the business, I need to live off of the cash flows coming in and I get big bonuses if I take it. And so what we would see on these systems is anytime you look at buying a business, there ends up being misalignment where the franchisees feel like the owner is extracting more than their fair share. With private equity, every dollar is going back into the business and we're hyper growth. That's our mindset too. And so once they realize that and they start seeing the results, you know, you look at our FBR scores and they're off the charts and it's because it's all going back into the business. Yeah, no, that makes sense. They bring the capital where you guys can live at a good level, right? And reinvesting to grow that business. So, and I also, John, you said this a few minutes ago, <laughs> let the bridges you burn light your way. I've never heard that one. That's going uh, yeah, to be a quote. That's good. Go on the wall. Go on the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Um, well, uh, look, guys, uh, this has been an awesome conversation, a super cool platform that you're building out. Uh, I'm pumped to share it w- with everyone when this gets released. But yeah, just for listeners who maybe want to take a stab and possibly explore one of your brands or just follow along with what you guys are doing. Is there any good place to follow along online? Yeah. So go to youthathletesunited.com. Um, you get to see all of our brands, every single one on the platform. We'll be there with if anybody's interested. And then I think the best way is follow us on LinkedIn, DMS on LinkedIn, Adam Geisler, John Narlinson. We're both on there. We're very active on LinkedIn. And I think it's the best way to follow us and kind of see what we do, how we promote our culture, our franchisees and the positive impact we're having just on the community through sports. Awesome. Guys, we'll, we'll plug both of those in the show notes so you can access them and send them a request on LinkedIn. But uh, yeah, Adam and John, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for having us. Right, thanks, Will. Take care. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.